Hey folks, and welcome to another edition of Wisdom Wednesdays. What I want to do today is just discuss a couple of research papers that I've been reading this week that collectively suggest that exercise not only busts stress, but it improves how we respond to stress over time and can build our resilience and our self-control and our emotional self-regulation. So let's talk about these two papers, the first of which, and I'll put both of these in the links. Um, the first is the, um, is called Stress in the Neuroendocrine System, the Role of Exercise as a Stressor and Modifier of Stress. Now, this is an old paper released in 2006, but it's an absolute cracker. Uh, and basically, it just talked about how stress impacts our neuroendocrine system over both the short term and the long term. And it's important that we have these differences. But let's just take a couple of steps back and define stress. So the guy that I call the godfather of stress is Professor Bruce McEwen. And he called stress a real or interpreted threat to the physiological or psychological integrity, which he calls homeostasis, of an individual that results in physiological and or behavioral responses. Okay, so let's just have that in mind. So one of our physiological systems in the body and the brain that's extremely reactive to stress is called the neuroendocrine system. So think of neuroendocrine as hormones that are impacting the brain. And, and this neuroendocrine system, um, sorry, the brain and nervous system, I should say. Now this neuroendocrine system helps the body and the brain to rise to meet the challenge of the stressor. And after the stressor is gone, the stress response then abates or reduces and then comes back to this thing called homeostasis or balance. Now, when a stress is too much, whether it's physical or psychological, or when our responses, our stress response system is inefficient, Scientists call this an increase in allostatic load, and, and that's basically damage from stress. And with that increase in allostatic load, there is a risk of developing certain chronic illnesses or disease, right? And that's what we call de-stress, D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. Um, now, there's a whole host of hormones that are involved in the stress response, right? The, the, it's a really long laundry list. Um, it includes things such as adrenal cortotropic hormone, cortisol, epinephrine or adrenaline and norepinephrine or, or noradrenaline, but also cytokines, dinorphins, um, um, things called uh, such as prolactin, growth hormone, testosterone, renin, angiostin and aldosterone and a whole heap of other things. But the major stress response hormones are Epinephrine, um, sometimes called adrenaline, just depends um, where you're brought up. So epinephrine and adrenaline, I use those terms interchangeably. The next one is norepinephrine or noradrenaline. And think of that as the cousin of epinephrine nor, uh, uh, epinephrine or adrenaline that acts in the brain. So that nor really has actions more in the brain. Um, and then we have adrenal cortotropic hormone and cortisol. Now, the first two, adrenaline and noradrenaline, as I'll call them, they're typically involved in that fight or flight response. And then with our HPA axis, the longer term response, which is more hormonal, we have adrenal cortotropic hormone and cortisol, right? So that's the geeky stuff out of the way. 
But in terms of our neuroendocrine, the overall neuroendocrine response to stress, um, the key thing is the volume of exercise, right? This is where we're getting into exercise. That is key. And the volume is comprised of both intensity and duration. So we know from the research that both longer volume of exercise uh, or longer time of exercise, sorry, and higher intensity of exercise, both of those things will increase the activation of these stress response hormones, right? But generally, the response is transitory or transient or temporary. And the level of these hormones then drop either to baseline or below baseline after exercise. And that bit's pretty critical, and we'll get into this. So we know that prolonged endocrine responses, so so this this these um, stress hormones going high and staying high for a long time afterwards, that only occurs with extremely stressful exercise. And when people do this regularly and don't get enough recovery, it can lead to the development of overtraining syndrome. And then when you get overtraining syndrome, you have a blunted response to exercise or any other stressor and a whole host of what we call maladaptations. So think of overtraining syndrome. The way I like to, to position it is you're just driving your car. It's a manual car and you're constantly in super high revs, a bit like a Formula One car, right? And um, the, the engine is going to get damaged. In Formula One cars, the engines don't last very long because they're driven at such high revs. So that's one thing to be aware of. But we're not going to go too much into overtraining syndrome. Now, the level of chronic exposure to exercise is one of the most potent factors influencing the neuroendocrine response to an acute exercise session. So what I mean by that is it's well established that as a person becomes more regular and, and chronic over time in their exercise pattern, then that, that response that they're going to get to exercise at a given intensity or workload is actually going to drop over time. Basically, the system becomes more efficient, right? So let's think about training our stress response system, our general stress response system, through exercise training, right? So um, that paper that I mentioned is is really key because there's a number of things and you can get in and, and have a look at yourself at some of the graphs um, and the impact of training the system. So what they showed is a number of different studies um, and, and a couple that are really important is that um, um, the people going through seven weeks of training, what you could see is week by week, the levels, the resting levels of adrenaline and noradrenaline actually reduced over the seven weeks. Basically, they became more chilled, right? Um, now, there, there is um, a, another research paper that is really important for me. And this was a study of both fit women and unfit women um, who were exposed to a typical psychological stressor. So this is a, a standard um, stress test where we see we can measure the, 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 the cortisol response to this stressor. And really importantly in this study, the unfit women had a much higher cortisol response than the fit women. So this, for me, is very strong evidence of this cross-stressor effect that I've banged on about so much in that 
if you get yourself fitter and um, you're basically being exposed to stressors, you're training that system and that system is becoming more efficient. So you then have a better response to other stressors, in this case, a psychological stressor. Um, and, and, and it's really quite interesting because uh, I think this is about the efficiency of the system. So there's other research that shows that special forces soldiers they have a very fast-acting stress response system, just like anxious people who've got a very quick response to stress. The difference between anxious people and special forces soldiers is about the speed of termination, the efficiency of termination. So special forces soldiers, when something happens around them, very quickly that stress response system turns on, they get into high alert, and then when they realize it's not a threat, their stress response system switches off, boom, super quick. Whereas in anxious people, it stays elevated. So I think this is one of the key things around exercise training is that it basically improves the effectiveness and the efficiency of the system. Now, some other things that came out of this particular research paper before I move on to the other one um, that's really important. You can see that there, there is a graph down at the end that looked at the um, um, the responses of, of stress hormones, in this case, adrenal cortotropic hormone and cortisol, to exercise at different intensities, right? And they showed exercise at three intensities, 45% of VO2 max, 65% of VO2 max, and 85% of VO2 max. Now, we can't all calculate our VO2 max, so I've done the work for you. That 45% of VO2 max roughly equates to about 60% of your maximum heart rate. So if you know your maximum heart rate, you can work out what intensity that is. And this, for instance, this is steady state training, right? So it's not resistance training. It'd be something like running or on a bike or something like that, right? 65% of VO2 max roughly equates to about 70%, 75%, sorry, of your max heart rate. And then the 85% intensity of VO2 max is about 90% of your max heart rate. So going really, really hard. And what it showed is that training at the lower intensity for 20 minutes ended up with levels of adrenal cortotropic hormone and cortisol being less after the exercise than they were before, right? And this is that whole thing about exercise being a stress buster, Right at 65% VO2 max, so about 75% of your max heart rate at 20 minutes, which is a reasonable session. And um, those levels um, went up and they continued to go up after exercise. And then, after a while after exercise, they dropped and again they went below baseline. Whereas at 85% of VO2 max, those levels just increased and they increased dramatically. But then they dropped pretty close to baseline, but they didn't go below baseline, right? So that, that has some implications for us. Now, I do think there's individual variability in this, but generally, here's my take out on, on what this means. So if you've just had a stressful day and you just want to not feel the stress or get rid of the stress, doing that gentle or moderate exercise would be seem to be the best thing because your stress hormones are going to drop beneath the level that they were after the exercise. But you may not want to do super intense, i.e. 90% of your max heart rate for 20 minutes. That session may not reduce those stress hormones below what they were beforehand. Now, 
there haven't been studies, or at least I haven't found them for this. I will dig into the literature later on to see, well, how does resistance training affect this? Um, because fat, personally, I find resistance training, lifting heavy shit as a great stress buster. And I also suspect that there's some individuality in these responses. So we know, for instance, that whatever variant of the BDNF gene you have can actually influence how you feel emotionally when, uh, with respect to a particularly exercise at higher intensity. So certain individuals with, with a one variant of that gene actually respond pretty well emotionally and feel good afterwards, whereas other people feel shit ice if they have a particular variant of the BDNF gene. They can feel pretty crappy at exercise of those high intensities. So I do think there's individuality in this. In fact, we know there's individuality in those responses. And that, I think, would also be influenced by the type of training that you've done over your time. So if you're used to higher intensity exercise like I enjoy, then you're probably going to have a better emotional response to this. Now, do I enjoy high intensity exercise because I've got that variant of the BDNF gene? That may well contribute to it. Um, but I also think that that trainability of the system over time um, is also pretty important. So now I, what I want to do is move to another um, research study that for me is, is quite linked. Um, and it, and it's the, the name of the paper is The Roles of Physical Activity, Exercise and Fitness in Promoting Resilience During Adolescence, Effects on Mental Wellbeing and Brain Development. So this is pretty critical because we know that, that um, it, it's adolescence is a, an absolutely critical period for developing behaviors important for mental well-being. And I've talked about this previously, but it's also a very vulnerable period. We know that adolescents are very vulnerable um, to mental ill health or, 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 or mental health problems. And the existing literature that shows very strongly that physical activity, exercise, and aerobic fitness promote well-being and reduce the risk of mental health problems, right? The, the, the jury is completely out on this. However, what's really important and was, re- and, and was covered in this paper is that um, impairments in self-regulation, so that ability to regulate um, my emotions and to regulate my behavior. So there's two different types of self-regulation. There's emotional self-regulation and there's behavioral self-regulation, right? There's there's nuance between those. So emotional, can I regulate my emotions as I'm feeling them? Can I tone them down? And behavioral self-regulation is no matter what emotions I feel, can I control my behavior in response to that? Now, both of those and um, they are top-down processes. We call them top-down process to modulate bottom-up processes. The bottom-up processes are the emotions and the feelings that are coming from the basal parts of the brain. And the top-down is the ability to control it that comes from the frontal lobes and other different parts of the brain. Right? And in this paper, they highlighted how these neural systems, these brain systems that underlie top-down control are developing very strongly during adolescence. And it appears that that physical exercise um, and fitness facilitate resilience by strengthening both the individual brain regions as well as large-scale circuits in the brain to improve both emotional 
and behavioral regulation, right? And I've talked before um, about the Dunedin study and, and also the marshmallow test that both showed that self-regulation is the key predictor of success in life, much more than intelligence, much more than your socioeconomic status. This self-regulation is absolutely critical to success in life. And here we have evidence that exercise, particularly in adolescence, improves their ability to self-regulate both emotionally and behaviorally. So, and, and I'm very passionate about this, having having one, uh, two adolescents, well, one's 16-year-old, about to be 16, and one 11-year-old, just the importance of exercise throughout adolescence for that brain development, and particularly around self-regulation. And if we then overlay that with the ability to handle stress and this cross-stressor effect. I think what we can see from this combined research that exercise is so, so critical to your success in life. And that is exercise over your entire lifespan, but particularly if you have kids, ensuring that they are exercising and throughout their adolescence. And I think our roles as adults is to help our kids find exercise that they actually enjoy. Because if they enjoy it, they're much more likely to do it. And then they're going to have these huge, huge benefits. And, and, and yeah, I have a 16-year-old who's getting into a very busy period in time. And, and I'm constantly saying the one non-negotiable is exercise. And, and even on exam days, um, there's exercise in the morning. In fact, especially on exam days, there's exercise in the morning because that just balances your stress response after exercise, makes you more calm, improves your brain function, improves neuroplasticity and all of this stuff. Uh, and these two research papers together, I think, give very, very strong evidence for this effect. So that is the end of Wisdom Wednesdays. The papers will be a link in the in the show notes. Um, so have a good read of them and hopefully you enjoy them and hopefully you've taken something out of this. I will see you next time. So that's a wrap for today's edition of the podcast. If you're enjoying it, please leave us a review as they really do help much more than you think. Remember to check out the show notes for today's episode and also remember to hit subscribe so that you get notified early of new releases of the podcast. See you next time.